0: Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. In today's sponsored show, we're talking to Opman Tech about Enmis, an intelligent network management platform that spans monitoring, visibility, automation, configuration management, and kind of a bit more. Actually, it's quite a bit more than even those words suggest, and we have lots of other buzzwords, like buzzwords, portals, network configuration, and compliance management, and so much more Now, Enmis has actually been under development for more than 20 years, and Opman Tech took the open source project and developed it into a freemium model, and that shows in the product. One way I could talk about this product is to say lots of buzzwords around visibility, observability, and AIOps, and it, it kind of does those things, but Enmis really does what network engineers do. It, it literally follows what we do every day, and it's grounded on the reality of day-to-day work And it's not attempting to become some Uber, proto, cloud thing, SaaS model, all-encompassing demon that sucks you into the dark. It's just trying to do what network engineers do every day. At least that's my take on it. And so joining me today is Keith Sinclair. He's the Chief Technology Officer and the progenitor of NMIS back in the dark times of networking when SNMP was the only API. But 20 years later, well, that's what we're here to talk about today with the Opman Tech product. So welcome, Keith. Let's dive directly into a short summary of what NMIST does, and then we can dive deeper into the best bit. So tell me very briefly, what is the Opmantech portfolio?
1: So uh, thanks, Uh, Greg. Opmantech develops network monitoring applications, which businesses use for managing fault performance, configuration compliance, and automation. We support multi-vendor, multi-tenant, multi-server solutions. The software works on a standalone server or can be installed onto multiple servers to scale to suit very large environments. We support all sorts of protocols, all the common protocols you'd expect, like SNMP, WMI, SSH, uh, RESTful APIs, and all the rest of them. Um, you know, the is available then to use for charts, for graphs, uh, people really love the geographic maps that we've got. Um, we've got canned reports, we've got custom reports, you can do top-end performance. Uh, All the data is available to use in APIs, so you can put data in, you can get data out, and you can integrate it with all your other applications. Um, And lots of our customers love our uh, event management system because it lets them integrate with systems like ConnectWise, ServiceNow, and lots of other incident management systems.
0: Okay, so what I'm taking away from what you've said is you've got a network monitoring, network visibility platform and you've been developing this product for about 20 years. So you've sort of been tracing along with the industry as we've gone from SNMP into the more modern API-centric world. Is that a reasonable statement?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been working on on NMIS for over 20 years and mm. just over 20 years. And SNMP is still the the number one way consistently on multi-vendor networks to collect data. The RESTful APIs are well supported by many vendors and you can get data from some devices and there's netconf and there's some other protocols. But, you know, at the end of the day, SNMP is really fast and really efficient and works really well to collect lots of data from lots of devices.
0: There's vendors out there who are going to be going like, that's fighting words. We're all API centric these days. But that's the reality, isn't it? Is that if you, the, the most used and the one that actually works is the SNMP, the one that's been proven for a decade or more.
1: Yeah, that's right. The 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 key thing is SNMP is actually a standard that's been around for a really long time. I, I was actually writing NMIS when SNMP was still evolving as a standard and vendors were releasing new features all the time and adding new stand like they were doing proprietary MIBs and they were releasing standard MIBs were getting ratified and released and updated. And, mm-hmm. and so that still hasn't finished happening with all these new protocols. All these new standards that are emerging still haven't finished. They're still Stabilized. evolving. Yeah. That's right. That's right.
0: And for, and from a product point of view, you you need to A, find these APIs and then find common features between what all the vendors are doing and then try and find some way to make them useful, whereas SNMP, you know where you're at. Is that is that kind of the take?
1: Yeah, that, that's pretty much the take. On networking specifically, SNMP is still very well supported by the majority of the vendors. Some of them are still doing, like some of them are sort of saying that, you know, some of this new instrumentation we're doing are only doing in these, you know, these newfangled APIs. But the majority of the stuff that you need operationally to get the visibility is available in SNMP.
0: So let's start and understand a little bit about how OpMantec approaches the idea of visibility and the the way that you detect and diagnose in the network. What's is there a kind of like a like most products actually have a sort of a theme behind how they operate? You know, they they either dashboard centric or graph centric or something like that. What's your approach to that to designing the product there?
1: We've evolved it over the years, but the thing that we we work on right now is detect, diagnose, and act. And we we refer to that as operational process automation. So we detect problems, we diagnose what the problem is, and then we take action. And then that's really the core thing that we do today. So the detection provides visibility. So we mm-hmm. poll data, we monitor logs, we go through, um, uh, we take traffic lights. So it's really important to get those traffic lights. You know, I remember a long time ago and when I first started. You know, the, the the birth of NMIS and I was and my boss said, "Oh, I need traffic lights for the network," and and they're there. So those traffic lights, red, yellow, green, uh, they're there, telling you what's going on with the device. You're not guessing what's happening with the device. So that's your visibility, and that's available across all the devices. And we we push those traffic lights out for everything.
0: So when you say traffic lights, you're simplifying a state of a device or a connection or the network end to end network to working, not working, or not sure.
1: That's right. That's right. So we just we boil it down to reachable, unreachable, and degraded. So you know, unreachable is obvious; you can't reach it. And and reachable means it's healthy and reachable and yeah. happy. And then de- degraded means that it is, um, it, it has something wrong with it. It's unhealthy, right? So right. it's got something going on with it that's unhealthy. So it, we've detected that it's dropping packets. It's it's got CPU issues. There's something else going on with it. Some people call that AI ops. They might call it AIOs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, they might.
0: <laughs> like, I mean, it's I. I actually have a sort of a generalized belief that most things in the network are known. There's not uh, it, the 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 complexity of networking tends to happen at the edge of the network or in an overlay. So, HTTPS, for example, is an overlay networking protocol, right? EVPN is an overlay networking protocol, and when you when you and the abstractions between them is where the problems start to creep in. So there's there's multiple ways to look at detecting problems in the network that aren't necessarily involved with using mystical magic and, and you know, Harry Potter style capabilities.
1: Right. So, you know, what's really important is it doesn't matter what what protocol you want to put over it. So your overlay is the, you know, the different technologies that you've just described and many, many more hmm. underlying the plumbing's got to work. You've still got to get packets you have still got to get tcp connections through the network or you've got to get udp packets reliably in a stream through the network so Mm. you've got to go and detect and make sure that the interfaces aren't dropping packets that there's not errors on the interface you've got to make sure the interfaces aren't congested you've got to monitor the qos and make sure the qos you know doesn't have classes that are full and classes that are empty right so you've got to make sure that you're monitoring that the qos classes and and packet loss inside those classes. So all of these things are, is the plumbing, monitoring the plumbing, and then only when that plumbing's working can the overlay, you know, on top of it, can, can that that work correctly.
0: So then you said um, detect, diagnose, act. So then when you come to diagnosis, what are you doing in that space?
1: So diagnose for different things. Uh, you know, for some customers, we do quite rich diagnosis. You know, for for example, we had a we had a great use case where a customer had they were using OSPF and they had a sort of a circumstance where they were getting errors on, on the interfaces. So OSPF is a wonderful routing protocol. And, you know, I, I used to use it all the time, uh, but it's, you know, it's not a, it doesn't handle interfaces or interface congestion uh, as well as other protocols. So NMIS is monitoring the router. It sees that the packets that these the interfaces dropping packets, mm-hmm. it then just pokes the OSPF cost on the interface. OSPF kicks in reroutes the traffic away know balances the traffic across and everything's fine so instead of having one uh, dual cost links with ones dropping packets and you know the tcp retransmissions happening and all the rest of the stuff's happening in, in the upper protocols you know um ospf just costed that interface down ospf reconverged and the traffic just kept going around the problem and then as soon as the load goes off the interface you know the errors go away and everything's good again later on
0: That's actually closed-loop automation. What you are actually saying there is I'm seeing packet drops on an interface. I know that that's a problem. I can detect that and diagnose it, in fact. Then that diagnosis actually leads into an action. I can then manipulate the OSPF cost to load balance it over a situation, and then I'm monitoring to see if that activity was correct, closing the feedback loop, and then taking further actions on, on the back of that. That's actually quite a sophisticated concept in network monitoring and visibility. Yeah. Yep, it is. <laughs> so um,
1: <laughs> like and you're uh, not
0: doing SD WAN. You haven't like forced me to go out and unpack, you know, a network upgrade and roll out a refresh of SD WAN technologies, which is all alright. And SD WAN is a completely is not a different thing, but this is approaching that with your existing topology. That's kind of what pokes me a little bit is SD WAN can be done a lot with automation. That's what you just said there.
1: Right. So SD WAN is an overlay network that's doing all sorts of smoke and mirrors under the covers to achieve something, you know, in an upper layer but the the actual network networks have always been very dynamic and 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 you know automatically routing around problems all right that's how the internet works that's why we're all here able to talk over the internet now mm. so you know um what happened was we just didn't develop some of the protocols that we needed to develop as much maybe as fast as people wanted and i also think that lots of people don't trust networks they 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 don't trust that the the packets going out of their servers are going into the network and the networks Doing something deterministic with them and getting them to the other side, and you know maybe <laughs> yeah. the app guys don't like that, and then so they sort of started doing the software defined sort of concept. Well, networking's for-
0: done a really bad job of mean time to innocence. You know, you go to the when you know what you and I are networking engineers of you know decades of of horror shows of working for enterprise customers, and the net server guy blames you, and you can't say no, it isn't because we've got no tooling or no visibility to to get to that point of innocence to say, well, you know whereas the as soon as you get blamed you have to say well all right, and you get on a, the finger defined networking and start wanging your way across the network to check if it's not
1: yeah so i mean this is why NMIS exists because i got sick and tired of defending the network so yeah. i just stopped defending it and said there's the evidence it's not the network go fix your go fix your app go fix your firewall well you know go go find the go find the actual cause it's not the network um, mm. and sometimes it is the network of course sometimes it is the network and we're all victim there of um people using loose terms for things so when the app doesn't work the user sits there going oh my app's not working the network's down and everyone just immediately says the network's down it's not the network the server's mm-hmm. down or the or the um you know or the, or the maybe the the power's gone out right so everything's yeah. down but mm-hmm. but everyone just blames the network they just instantly say it's the network so yeah I mean nmis exists to provide that instant visibility I mean that's why i wrote it 20 years ago to just so that people could have the visibility they needed to see mm-hmm. that the network wasn't down or that it wasn't dropping packets or that there was no latency to that location. And especially when we talk about, um, when we talk about the, the protocols necessary, you, you just, you can use the real basics like ICMP is wonderful and hmm. ICMP gives you everything you need to know about packet loss and response time. And then of course you can do more sophisticated things with it. So one of our customers sort of took this to a, um, a great extent and they took our technology and they wrapped it up into the whole diagnose, uh, detect, diagnose, and act. And they did what they call WAN circuit monitoring. Um, and an engineer named Hari did a, a fantastic job on this. And the packet loss, they, they so they monitored for packet loss and they monitored the response time. They monitored the BGP protocols. They monitored that the BGP peers were up and down. They monitored mm-hmm. the BGP messaging to make sure that the messaging was okay. Um, and then what we did is we, we helped them with some technology around um, what I call dynamic baselining, what other mm. might, people might call, you know, something else like machine learning or something. <laughs> machine but, um, learning. Yeah, ML Yeah, 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 AI.
0: Yeah. Yeah. AI, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's it. So Sorry, some such it's and, yeah. some really, really, really sophisticated, really, really fast maths. And, um, well, actually, it, anyway, it, and it solves the problem. So when when they had a change in different metrics, different types of changes, so delta changes, comparing the metrics to the previous time or even to the time last week, and if that changed by more than a certain amount, then it would raise an alarm for them. So, you know, and we would use standard deviations. So all of this was kind of dynamic. So basically, um, they took all of that and they put it all into uh, monitoring through, drive all event-driven. So everything was going around in a full loop. Then when when they detected a problem, the the event management system would say, well, let's go diagnose that and make sure that it's still down. Mm. So they do what Mm. they call, you know, confirm, they sort of like verified node down and verify BGP peer. And then they would just do simple things like, you know, run the trace route and the pings automatically. The system just does that for you. OP events just runs the, the tasks automatically, collects all of that data, attaches all of that to the event, the original event of some the what mm-hmm. that raised raised this. And they put all of that into the um, send it through into ServiceNow. The operators that are running the network that are responding to customer requests and so forth, they just open up Service Now and they see an event, an incident they have to work on. They click on it. Nice. And then they just opened up OP events inside at an iview and they were just now looking at all the details I needed to solve that WAN circuit problem.
0: Right. So, there's, and so this is not a visibility. This is much more. This is much more into the observability argument, which is I'm not just sitting there showing you speeds and feeds, interfaces and CPU, and then charting them on a dashboard. You're actually completing out the portfolio with this idea of feedback loops. If the network does this, Tell me something or integrate vertically or sideways send messages out to another system um, and that's usually in my experience of talking across the industry as a product that's had years and years of development because you're you've had the time and startups don't do that they say you know we don't talk about that on the shows because you haven't they haven't had time to develop those features
1: they haven't had time to develop the ideas so mm. it's you know you, you, you innovation is having an idea and then and then executing on that idea. And, you know, startups all talk about innovation, which many startups are very innovative, and but they very much focus on, on one thing and they kind of miss the side opportunities. And that's okay. Um, you know, before we started Optmantic, we already had software that was out there. We had a long tail, lots of people using the software. All the basics were done in NMIS. Mm. So then we added value, you know, the products that we've developed, all the commercial add-ons that add value to NMIS and the data and do things that NMIS doesn't do. Like NMIS doesn't have an event, a full-blown event management engine that responds to syslog, for example. It never did. So, hmm. you know, we we added that value. And and those are the things that it's actually, these are some simple these days what people call it pipelines, right? So you have a pipeline, the hmm. you know, the tech diagnose and act as a pipeline. So you're doing something with the data you've already got. Don't go get more data, just use the data you've already got better. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. networking um, and, and,
0: devices do a pretty good job of logging to syslog or yep. even sending SNMP traps, God forbid. There's an awful lot of data coming off networks, like from Syslog or S traps. That, although we don't use S traps very often these days, but a lot of that stuff is just there, but not mined for useful or, or context or meaning.
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, if we if we sort of go back to some uh, Pareto's principle or the the eighty twenty rule, you can solve most of your problems with very simple information that's just. Self-evident, right? Mm. So, good, good network monitoring is, is is just monitor the basics and get all that stuff right. If you then start adding on some layers like monitoring syslog and SNMP traps, especially syslog on, on most of the sort of contemporary IP vendors like Cisco, Juniper, Huawei, etc., you know, mm. you're going to get you're going to get really rich data from syslog, and and it, and when you add that to the existing monitoring that you're already doing, you know, polling for information, it's very very powerful and then now you're getting the syslogs unsolicited so when it detects something going on you can now take instant action on that instead of you know maybe waiting for a poll cycle which could be a minute or 5 minutes you know which is still pretty responsive um so yeah you 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 get a lot of stuff and those those things work they work all the time this mm. isn't this is proven technology that just works you know yeah. and you you can just plug the devices in and stuff starts happening and then you know the the, the policy system so big big part of the way our systems work are uh, you know uh what we What we refer to as expert systems or rule-based systems. and And these are very powerful because they're very deterministic. So that's a good thing when you want to understand why something happened and when it happened. And then you can use good practices like forensics, if you like. So you yeah. you have a you know I call this problem management, but you have some kind of outage. You go back, you look at what happened in the hours leading up to the outage, and now you put monitoring in to look for those events, look for those symptoms, look for those metrics or monitor those metrics, look for why you'd lost packets or maybe the classic one that we've seen a lot of firewall vendors and, and um, load balancing vendors is you really got to keep a close eye on the session counts, right? How many how many things are going across that, you know, that the, how many sessions are loading up and how many translation tables you've got at the end of the day. That's what it's all about because it's in software.
0: You said a key word there that I actually want to pick up on. You said deterministic. The event system is deterministic. Now we see a lot of people running around with a woo-woo wand, going, "Yeah, we we have AI ops," and it's very un. And, and the challenge that I think most network engineers have with th- that sort of marketing around, oh yeah, we feed a data lake into an algorithm, and we take models and then we ship them back out to you. And the challenge that I've always got with AI ops, and this is deviating slightly, is that if you take your data set from existing networks and say this is what the knowable problems are. The, the challenge there is that most of our networks are ugly and messy and evolve. They're not designed or intentionally. They're more the result of exigent engineering. You know, they work by accident rather than work by intention. And if you feed that into an AI ops model and AI ops is trying to extract meaning, you end up with what uh, in the uh, the classic example here is they did a, a, an AI program over chest X-rays. And the idea was that it was going to be able to assist doctors doing chest X-rays. And the AI algorithm started to pick up on the text on each X-ray. There was actually words on there. And it actually started to pick up on that as a chest infection because <laughs> right. it was in, in the X-rays often enough, if you know what I'm saying. So the challenge yep, yep. with AI is knowing whether the fault that's being logged is true or not. And the vendors themselves often can't say what it is their AI is doing or what is knowable. The challenge with AI is proving that the algorithms work in a certain way. And this is why I'm a little hesitant. Like, I like the idea of AI ops. I like the idea that big companies are throwing tens of millions of dollars into development of expert systems or what we used to call expert system, but they're not deterministic. They're not knowable. Is that fair criticism, do you think?
1: I think it's very fair criticism. Um... I could, I could segue into a, a long discussion about this, but let me just try and uh, bring a few thoughts together on on why determinism is so important. So determinism is really, really critical because when you're going to restart a server or reset an interface or modify a routing protocol, you want to know that that happened. So if you look at the scientific method, it's kind of, you know, it's not old-fashioned at all. It's incredibly new-fashioned and it's, it works and it really helps society and... The world a lot and in fact networking's built on it and everything's built on it. And then that is about taking observations and verifying and validating that those things happened or didn't happen. And then drawing drawing conclusions from that. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. the scientific method. That's you don't want to go start rebooting a server because you think it's down or you think it's broken or you think something's wrong. You know, the, the AI ops, you know, some of the some of the problems are that it's going to come to a conclusion that maybe people can't tell you, and this has been happening in, in many, many systems that they've had, mm. um, of all different applications of, of machine learning and AI technologies, they don't know how they got the answer. So you're going to take something that says, I got this answer, and now I'm going to take this action, but how do you know you got that answer? So you really mm. have to go back to detect a problem,
0: or well, diagnose then to- the problem. Back act. to the manual thing. You have to basically right. check every recommendation from the AI system because it, it's not deterministic. You don't necessarily understand how it came up with the recommendation until you come up to a point of trust with it. In which case, why didn't you just manually define the process in the first place? Like,
1: Right. So I think the value in AI and machine learning is assisting the human. So mm. if it works beside the human, and and there's a lot of lot of researchers talking about this sort of method now, is that the AI should be sitting there looking at the data, at, and the humans doing their job, and the AI is looking at it, and then there's some normal deterministic stuff going on, and just you know some graphs coming up and some good statistics going on, and the AI is going, I think this is broken, you know I think this is you know this is bad, yeah. and uh-huh. the humans kind of looking at it and going, the AI says it's bad. And yeah, that that dip there in that graph doesn't look good. And it, and then that, I'm going to go run a command on that. And, you know, it sounds kind of trivial, but you, you confirm things on Cisco routers and switches and Juniper and so forth by running yep. commands to verify things. That's how you get evidence and that's how you verify your evidence, right? So now go run a command, verify that that's the fact, away you go.
0: So this sounds like your OpEvents product, which is able to take all of the events in and Die, come up with a way of decoding the events into meaning because one of the challenge with event management is coming up with useful alerts. We don't need one alert. Actually, what we want with alerts <laughs> is just one alert, not many alerts.
1: Yeah. You, you, so OP Events is a, um, a a very sophisticated and very streamlined event management system. So it works on a on a process of normalizing all events that come in the front. So now you have a standard event model. Um, that you can use for all events. So all events have at least a minimum number of properties to make them useful to the system. We also throw in stateful handling and that's native. So stateful handling is native, not added on the top. Now, what this means is, and then the, the, but the events can have as many properties as you like, right? So they're going to have a minimum number of properties, but they can actually have whatever, 50, 200, whatever you want properties, mm. if you like, not a problem. So this is a kind of a big data answer, not a I'm not trying to fit everything into an SQL table. This is a big data solution. You're just saying I'm going to have whatever I need. No SQL. Whatever I need is in there available. So mm-hmm. now, now I can start correlating events. Now I can start deduplicating events. Now I can go from many alerts to one alert. Right. Mm-hmm. So now I've got a alert that I can I can do something with, and and that's really important. Like getting it getting getting cutting through the chaff. You know, to to find the actual the the thing that you're after. Is really, really critical. And then uh, we have features in, in there like storm control so that you, you know, when, when lots of things go crazy, you just reduce it down to saying, you know, here's the, here's the primary events that you're interested in.
0: Which, which is what you do with a syslog. You start right. filtering out the syslog messages you don't care about and you tune it up till you get what you want. Like if you're thinking in terms of one router, you set syslog to max and then you tune it out until you find the events that are relevant.
1: Right. And, and so we support, um, you know, uh, include lists and exclude lists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- these are the politically correct terms these days, but you know, we, mm-hmm. we have lists to drop them early. So we have a, a drop early list and then mm-hmm. we have a, a list that, you know, only process these things because depending on what you're trying to do, you, you know, some people prefer to tune it in the device itself and you can go to Juniper, Cisco or whatever. And say don't send me all of these different alerts. Some people go, oh, that's too hard. I'm just going to turn it all on. I want the app to tune it. Right. So we, we support, you know, we support both. The, the really critical thing is how do you then confirm something? So I've got the event. It's coming in, and I've determined that this is going on. Like this is a fact: the node is down, or the or this BGP is down, or the CPU is high. These are facts; these aren't guesses. These are facts. So now, how do what? What do I do with that? What can I do with that? Now I can either take action. The action could be as simple as tell a human, or it could be as as like we described before. It could be as you know something more complicated, like reset the routing protocol, like just clear the interface. It could be. Um, you know, the classic one might be just restart the database if it's a server, you know, an application. I've <laughs> yeah. got a problem, restart the so database. So you
0: do you do a lot of this stuff for servers as well as networking gear. This is not just a networking yeah, product yeah. per se. Yeah, yeah. You can I can use Obman to manage servers as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Linux, um, you know, we do like we're sort of Linux native and, and big Linux fans and um and I I'm I'm really happy and and so happy that Unix have I've been using Unix my whole career and Linux is just really taken off and hit its strides and especially the last 10 years, but, you know, probably a little bit longer, but the really last five years, it's just accelerating, right? It's just the, the upturn. Yeah, yeah. I think ev- everything's on Linux. So that's that's really powerful and, and that's because it's deterministic, right? That's because the operating system like Cisco Routers and like Juniper and like the other routers, you have a configuration, you put the configuration in and most of the time it does what it's supposed to do.
0: Yeah. Well, th- one of the interesting things about networking devices in Linux is that the configuration is defined by text, in it's knowable. So yep. I, that leads me to two questions. One is I want to talk about uh, network configuration and compliance monitoring in a minute, but I want to ask just a couple of quick questions around Opflow. There's a NetFlow analyzer and connector in there. Is that what I expected? Does that mean collectors wherever I want sending data back to an analyzer in a central place and doing all the analysis?
1: Um, we run, yeah, we, we have an, a NetFlow collector that you run on a server. So you send your NetFlows into the server and then mm-hmm. you can have multiple servers running um, running NetFlow to, to, to analyze the data the way you want. We actually sell that to quite a lot of service providers for their, or MSPs, managed mm-hmm. service providers, and they use it for its RBAC capabilities. So they'll tend to run multiple servers and just send lots of NetFlow in, and then the customer logs in and can. Such so a multi tenant solution. Yeah, multi tenants, yeah. exactly. So, um, you know, we, and people tend to use it in a couple of different ways. But yeah, I mean, they, they, they typically send. Have multiple servers where they need them in the network and send flow data to them. And then when something goes on, they usually they only log in. <laughs> you know, when they they've received some alerts about congestion on the interface, it might be dropping packets, QoS is dropping packets, whatever. Then they go and have a look at NetFlow. Usually, people use it to, yeah. to diagnosis.
0: Yeah, you don't start with NetFlow; it's the next level down. And then underneath NetFlow is packet capture, and that's the weapon of last resort, not the weapon of first resort. Because it's just too right. much information most of the time, and high availability. If at this point I'm interested in hearing what Opman Tech does around HA, am I able to scale scale up and scale out? Is the other side?
1: Yeah, so we support we support horizontal and vertical scalability. So you can you can on a single server you can do quite a lot and run quite a lot of things. So you can manage lots of nodes on a single server. But it, sometimes, where even if you're a smaller network, you might have. DMZs or, or whatever you want to call them, security zones. So mm-hmm. you might want to have collectors and so forth in those security zones and, and then have data come back through to the to a primary server. So we support multi-server for um, just not just for high availability, but just for multiple server requirements like um, security zones and so forth. And then we also support what we call mirror servers or redundant polling. So you can have hot, hot, active, active uh, pollers that are polling the network. And pe- mm-hmm. pe- people typically turn this on for their core network so they'll typically say run, you know, um, redundant pollers for the for the core network and maybe the distribution network, but not the access. Right? They don't worry about the access. They just don't want. They always want to know if something goes on. So you can run your, 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 you know, across your multiple data centers geographically diverse. You can run your pollers and they're polling the bits that you want and redundantly if you if you need them to, or just in, so in, I can in go a, hot, hot,
0: hot cold. Yep. I can go. I can scale up on a single server, which right. is probably how most people are doing it. Because as I understand it, or as I remember it, NMIS is a very efficient use of resources. It's not like some bloated Java app that took fifty developers just to write the, the you know, get the Tomahawk deployment going or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's right. No, it's it's very efficient on on resources. You can run uh, thousands of nodes on a single server, um, mm. and, and and that's what some customers do. Uh, many, and then if you have lots of nodes, we have customers running hundreds of thousands of nodes being managed. You know, they're obviously running, um, you know, some of those, they'll sort of set up the system. You know, sometimes these are service providers and they're, they're managing CPE. So they can run four and 5,000 CPE on a single server.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then they'll run multiple servers. So they'll, they'll figure out the balance of their virtualization platform, whatever they're using, their hypervisor. They'll figure mm-hmm. out that balance of the, of the mix of storage, CPU, and so forth. Memory, and then they'll they'll say that's the size of our polar, and then they'll now just replicate that, and they'll put
0: that. And you've got nodes. the ability to distribute polars separately from other actions as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everything's just a Linux box, and it's all configuration. There's no no layer two connectivity required. It's all just layer three connectivity. Yeah. So you can have polars wherever you want, whatever IP addresses you want, and everything just works. Yeah. Over, what I'm drilling in there is there's a
0: distributed idea of distributed polars, but a central uh, core engine that all the polar data is then forwarded to. So. You can share the That's load, right. you can have a central server, just one big server for the, the what the network operators use, but out there you might have 10, 20, 30 pollers in geographic regions so you don't have, you know, all the polling data being backhauled over large distances.
1: That's right. So you, um, your operators are always just accessing the primary server and they're seeing the data from all of the pollers. They don't have to log into each individual poll. Everything's single sign on. They log in once, they just see all the apps are single sign-on, so, so they're logging into a primary server they're, mm-hmm. they're dealing with typically they should be looking at event streams and they're looking at you know what we call a current event dashboard and they're seeing events and they click on an event and then now the the system just shows them what they need to see you know no. and they don't they're not they're not jumping between they're not jumping around between servers it is staying So if I was an MSP server.
0: I would put a poller on my customer site and then that poller would then feed back to my central infrastructure
1: You can do that um, yep. many of our, many of our customers actually find, um, MSPs actually do them centrally because we support multi-tenancy on a single server. So yep. you, you can have dedicated polars or, or you can have, you know, shared polars where you're running or a multiple mix, customers. Right. You, or you a mix. might
0: say this customer is big enough and it needs a polar to be efficient or, or you don't have to, if you don't want to, yes. but it's still multi-tenant either way.
1: Yeah, most of our customers find the balance is somewhere around you know servers with sixteen to thirty-two gigs of RAM and eight to sixteen CPUs. That seems to be the balance, and you don't want mm-hmm. to dedicate that for a you know for one small customer with hundred nodes. So they they'll tend to most of them will tend to have the polars in the in the in the data center or into a, an environment they can manage. Um, but absolutely, we've got customers who have polars on on site, and they'll use a smaller server,
0: like a you know like a you could run an Intel NUC, for example that works quite well. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think a lot of SMEs. Now I noticed on your website too, that there's a virtual machine. So I can literally just go and click a button and download it and start playing with it.
1: Yeah. You you can, you can go to the website. So, you know, NMIS is open source and is free and always has been free. And then, um, the, on, on the virtual machine is NMIS already installed, ready to go as so along with open audit as well with, there's an open source, um, open audit and there's the the commercial, uh, professional and enterprise editions. Open audit is all there for. Um, discovery and audit of primarily its its focus is really around desktops and computers, servers and computers. So it, it really goes and gets a lot of data about Windows computers, a lot of detail, what software is installed. Then you can audit and say, show me all the software, you know, show me all the servers that have got this version of open Open VPN installed or open SSL, you know.
0: Right. Um, so it's inventory management. So you actually go out uh, and discover yeah. the network to some extent? Yeah. And then you also inventory what it is you discover by, you know, various, the usual ways of doing it that everybody does it. You fingerprint, you do traffic analysis and stuff like that to, to say, oh, this must be a Windows box. This must be a Linux box and so on.
1: That's right. That's right. And then, so all of that's on the VM along with all the commercial products. So you can just take the VM down, um, install it into, it's an OVA file. So it runs in various different platforms. And then you can have a free, li- there's a free license of of 20 nodes included with all the products. So you can try them mm-hmm. out you know, no problem at all. And then if you need a trial license, you can get trial licenses from from the website.
0: So before we start getting into the final phase of this, I wanted to talk a little bit about NCCM or Network Configuration and Compliance Monitoring, which is all the fashion uh, this year. Um, if you thought AI ops and SD-WAN was last year's, the big one at the moment seems to be this idea of stabilizing around configuration management and audit of the configuration. At, particularly as a security thing, I think mostly is that. So t- let's talk a little bit about config and compliance from the Opman Tech perspective.
1: Um, so config and compliance is something I've been doing for a chunk of my career. So I was, I was when, I, when I was at Cisco, I was involved with um, working with finance. I was a, a, a network consulting engineer. Or mm. a solution architect with Cisco. And we were, I was doing a lot of work with financial customers trying to solve these compliance problems of their Cisco networks and you know thousands and thousands of devices and so forth. So I've done a lot of work in this area. And then when we came, when I came to OpMantic, I knew it was a problem that we had to solve. So we've developed a very sophisticated configuration management solution that talks to network devices and servers uh, and collects data from them. Now, to me, configuration just isn't your show running config. You know, configuration is also show version, maybe show controller, and a few other commands on your Cisco devices and different commands on your Juniper devices. And that's your configuration. That's That represents all the information you need to replace that device and reconfigure it and make it work again if something goes wrong, by right? backing mm-hmm. it up, just making yeah, sure yeah. you got it. And then what was also very important to me, having done you know, network operations and run networks and supported people and all that sort of stuff over my career, was that the system also just go and collect commands. Whatever command you want to collect, the classic command on a Cisco device, of course, is show interfaces, but also show ip interfaces, right? And then show mm. you know all these different commands that show we use. Show, show interface yeah.
0: counters. Show interface yeah.
1: counters. Show ip route summary. Show you know show ip bgp summary. Show cross all policy,
0: etc., etc. Et yeah.
1: Exactly. So now, some of those commands you might want to detect change on. So for example, so show cdp neighbors and detect change on it. That's a really handy command. And so we can do to change detection on configuration commands or on these other commands, what I call operational commands, like show interfaces, show CDP neighbors. they sort of, that's the result of the configuration, right? That's the result. That's the system now running and this is other systems running and this is what's going on. So we collect those commands and, and by default we'll collect the, the, the configuration commands every day, every 24 hours, and yep. then we collect all those other commands that you want to have collected and the whole thing ships and all this works out of the box. They'll, they'll run every hour. Yep. So now when you're sitting there on a, on whatever time of the day and someone says there's a problem on that route or that switch, you can actually go back and you've got not only the performance data that you've got in NMIS of all the interfaces and what they're doing, you can actually go look at a snapshot of the show interfaces for the last every hour for the last whatever 30 days and you can actually start to see maybe when the interface went bad. You can see, you know, maybe which one of... So when you're getting... The, the, again, the classic would be you've got your you, NMIS is telling you that you're dropping packets, packets discarded or packet errors. That's the SNMP MIBs. That translates to about half a dozen different counters in a show, show interface command on a Cisco router.
0: Hmm. And by tracking that over time, so it's not right. just read the configuration, you know, the running configuration or the written configuration of the unit. You're also collecting a range of status information which, from which you can then extrapolation. But the flip side of this is, You've got all that data stored on a central server, and you can start to audit that.
1: That's right. So then that now now you come through. So change detection is uh, is really the the driver here, and that and and automatically the system will uh, automatically update the config. So for example, every twenty four hours it pulls it like it goes to the router and downloads it and checks it and then saves the updated version if it's changed. But if, if you, uh, we're monitoring the device, we look to see if the config's changed. If we see it's changed, we grab a copy and we send an alarm or send an e- an event saying the configuration has changed. Mm. And we tell you which command it's changed on and we tell you how many changes have, have been made. So now you you have real-time change detection at quite a granular level. So now when you're sort of going back to that, uh, when you're looking at that storm of events that are coming in and, and you're wondering did the power go out, you know, is there a storm going on, you know, or did someone change something? There's yep. the event. The event's there saying, you know, ch- configuration, show running config changed, right? And 15 minutes later, the router's down. Hmm, what's going on? Smoke and fire, so so to speak. It may, may not be the problem with the configuration change, but now you know you've got the facts that you need to better diagnose a problem.
0: Yep, get the mean time to innocence. And it, I guess the flip side here is it's not hugely complicated in principle, it's hugely complicated to implement because you've got to store all this data, provide a user interface, get it into a dashboard, all that sort of stuff. But it's not. A lot of this stuff isn't anything different than what normal network engineers just do with finger-defined networking. Yeah,
1: you know, I say to a lot of people, it's not rocket science. It's not easy, but it's not rocket science. Not anyone can just go and do this, but it's not rocket science. Um, you know, I've been doing this with my career through open-source tools. And if you if you're a network engineer and you're not using some sort of open-source things to solve your problems, and you're probably not a very good network engineer. Sorry. <laughs> but you know, you've got to have tools, you, you know, you've got to yeah. be using tools to understand things better. And well, i I've think been- the
0: days of the days of old where you had the, you know, the CLI and that was all you had that those right. are passing us by. In fact, they probably passed us by for most reasonable sized or for mission critical networks a while ago. So you don't hear of uh, telco backbones being run by network engineers with very fast fingers and, 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 memorized IP addresses these days?
1: No, I think the number, the numbers changed, but I think once you get past about 100 to 200 devices, most people can't keep all that stuff in their head anymore. You know, it depends on the human, but, you know, maybe for some people it's 50, maybe for some people it's 300, but not all the people on the team can keep all that in their head, right? (laughs) So, and usually what you end up with, and I've I've worked with lots of small and large network teams over my career, and, and you'll find some people that know everything about the VPN parts of the network. And some people don't know everything about the core the switching. Some people know everything about the core routing, but maybe not everyone knows everything about everything. So they're all relying yeah. on tools to fill in the gaps for the bits they don't know when they're on call or when they're called in to help out. Um, so that configuration system is there keeping all of that up to date, real-time documentation, real-time what's going on, what happened. And it's all there all the time in the system um, that you can go and look at and refer to. And you can also do side-by-side comparisons. That's just just a side-by-side diff of the same command collected now and two hours ago or now and last week. Or you can look at the command collected on the two core routers on the same interface. So you can go and compare different commands on different devices as well as the same commands on the same devices, right? So you can kind of do lots of things that you might want to do when you're diagnosing or troubleshooting these sort of crazy problems that you might have to troubleshoot. Mm-hmm. And the big thing is everything over time. I've been, you know, one of my mantras is, is everything over time. You've got to have data over time. You've got to see data over time and see what's changed over that time because that will tell you where the problem is. So having, having statistical data on metrics collected over time and having a graph, you'll just see the graph in NMIS and OP charts. you just see the graph and you'll just see a change in the graph. You go, what happened then? Mm-hmm. You go to that time in OP events and you see all the events that happened then. And then straight away you can get to the bottom of what the problem is, right? You're not you're not guessing.
0: Yeah, and one of the interesting things about events so what we, we were you were telling me about when we were preparing for the show is that you're actually finding people using OP events as a way to unload from existing event event management systems. So if they're using you know older products like Netcool or you know products like that that are something like Splunk, which costs a fortune. The you know for every single log that you send to it, why not put something in front of it and then reduce the amount of data that's heading into those engines? That's one thing that people are turning to Obman Tech for.
1: Yeah, big time. So our event management is very powerful, and it's actually it's it's it actually starts with raw data. So we mm. we process the data in. Right? We we normalize the data from a from a log or from whatever it might be. And most of the systems can't do that at scale and we do it at thousands and thousands of you know, events per second. So we can now take all that raw data, SNMP traps, syslog, uh, events that we generate ourselves. It's got an API to put events into the API. Whatever you need mm-hmm. to do, it'll read JSON logs off a, off a disk. Whatever you need to do, it'll process them. So that capability is super fast and super efficient and most, many vendors can't do that. So we're actually <laughs> front-ending for, for some telcos, te the old te still out there, Tivoli Netcool, um, you know, we're front-ending those systems and sending a, a much smaller number of events through that are actually impacting their services, right? So we're yeah. taking events and just sending the incidents or the problems through to the, to the service management system. And then systems like um, Splunk that are volume-based, we can just filter out the, you know, do that noise reduction and, you know, and reduce the cost for, for, for Splunk. So there's a, <laughs> and that could be useful for Anything many
0: you can do to reduce the cost of Splunk is, is directly impactful on the business bottom line, to be fair.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've still got the visibility in OP events to go back and see the raw events if you needed to, right? Like you're filtering them out and you're not sending them to Splunk. And then if you sort of see that there might be something in Splunk, you want never look, you go back to OP events and you can find out, you know, the details that you need. So, yeah, that's a very powerful capability. And then people are doing a lot of, um, work into service desks like ServiceNow, yeah. um, JIRA, um, you know pick, pick pick your favorite one. but um,
0: yeah, the network it doesn't wise, stand alone anymore. We all report up into some sort of tool.
1: Right. yeah, right. Mm. The, the The big thing that I think about that I talk about with with OP Enso is it's actually the the technical service desk. So the business has a service desk, like, for example, um, ServiceNow. and the business is using that but the engineers need a place where they can do what they do. So we have a lot of features in OP events for, for technical service desk. Some of our customers actually just use it as a service desk. They don't, they don't have an external one, um, but you've got a state and status of the event and you can kind of put notes in event. You can put comments in, you can do all sorts of stuff like that. You've, you can actually change the status and, and, um you can you can have escalations running from it. so if no one responds for a period of time it'll it'll keep sending emails until someone responds, and it will do all of those sort of things. So I call that a you know a, a technical service desk. It's the features that you need the technical team need to run their services.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah I think I'm familiar with the end of of old, and I think part of the challenge here is understanding how the product has developed over the years, and just how, a company like OpMentech over 20 years of development time can just smooth out a product that most people would think of as would be out there declaring how innovative it is and and very splashy, you know, marketing and all that sort of stuff. And yet you seem to have all the things that other people have, but just getting on with it.
1: Yeah. There's a pragmatic approach there in some respects. Um, You know, we, we solve problems and we've we we've had a long tail. So Opmantic's been lucky when we started that we had customers already using our products. Like that's yeah. not, normally startups don't have that luxury. And we were, and I'm not actually saying it was a luxury, it was hard work. But we, we very quickly figured out that people wanted add-ons to the to NMIS. They didn't just want NMIS, they wanted the reporting and they wanted maps and they wanted these other things. So we very quickly started adding commercial products to NMIS, you know, pretty like, you know, within a year. Yeah. <laughs> within months <laughs> of me starting there, we added commercial products. So- yeah that's been really critical to people. And then we um I, I think if we I think you know NMIS by itself is is very powerful and functional. It, it does what you've got to do. And it's it's very fast and very sophisticated. And we're now at NMIS version nine, right? Um, from from version the versions you used to use a long time ago. And yeah. so it, it's you know it's evolved a lot and it's it is very sophisticated and it's super snappy. And um and the funny thing is engineers tend to like the GUI. And operators and managers tend to not like the GUI. So they tend to use the commercial products because they prefer the commercial products. But I find when I talk to ca- engineers, the network engineers, they're using the, the you know, the efficient, pragmatic GUI of NMIS. <laughs> yeah.
0: But then you've got dashboards. So you've still got the traditional dashboards and all that sort of stuff. So you can provide a customized dashboard for your uh, IT executive who just wants to know if the network's working. Type thing. Right,
1: right. Yeah, you, you, you know, and that's the that's the charting tools. So Op charts is your your custom dashboards, custom charts, custom maps. You can it, you can do really granular. Um, for service providers and MSPs where you've got shared equipment, you can do really granular per, permission models and let a customer just see an interface on a switch, so they can yeah. have they can see the graphs of an interface on a switch, not the whole switch, just the interface on the switch. So got, uh, we have this sort of really granular um, controls.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I used to do was uh in the DMZ. I would build a dashboard just of the DMZ so that everybody could see if the DMZ was up or down. uh, There was a particularly complicated network that I worked on and the DMZ was quite, had a wide range of devices. And one of the problems was that nobody had visibility into there and it was restricted. We couldn't let people in there to run around and check if everything was working. So we actually built a custom dashboard. That said, "You know is the firewalls up? You know there was three firewall clusters in there for various purposes, and are they up, are they running, are they interfaces running, are the switches in between them all up and all that sort of stuff. And it was there's things you can do with custom dashboards that you as an engineer have to think of to make them useful. You can't rely on some proto magic AI driven magic wand to do that for you.
1: In fact, you've described exactly what lots of the network engineers do and make those dashboards for the operations teams, and they have a series yeah. of dashboards that they give to operations teams. Um, and or to their customers. And it's really interesting. <laughs> I find it really interesting because often our our customers are wanting to show less information to their customers. So they often, and so we've got a lot of features that actually remove <laughs> what all <laughs> the rich data that we provide and they yeah. provide like simplified dashboards because these are commercial service providers and commercial MSPs. So they don't show all the details. They just, they remove, you know, they we've got options to, to, to dumb the tools well, that's down. That's what they get paid for. That's You're what they paying the managed one. service
0: provider to do it for you. They, I don't want to know, you know, if I lease a car, I don't care how the car gets fixed. I just want the car to get on the road and work, you know. so
1: Right, right exactly. And then so they do that through maps and, you know, the executives love to see a map. You know, they, they love to see, you know, some pie charts and some things like that so they can go and put those yeah. things in.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah, red, green. Traffic lights is all about the executives, to my yeah. mind. And, and for down on the operations help desk, also very useful so they can drill in. Okay, Keith, well, I think we're running out of time for this today. It's great to chat to you again. Um, What the audience may or may not know is that you and I actually go back a long way. We were actually uh, colleagues in a company back in the deep, dark times, back when enterprise engineering was a different different world than it is today. But uh, if people are interested in finding out more about Opmantech, where can they go to get more information?
1: The best place to go is to the Opmantech website. So that's uh, opmantech.com. We've actually put up a site there for Packet Pushers to come to. So that's opmanticcom slash Packet Pushers with a dash in the middle. Um, but if you just get to you can find all the information about our products. You can download the VM and get started with the products in your home lab, try it out at home, and and, and it's no cost to try it on all the enterprise features for no cost.
0: That's opmantech, which is O-P-M-A-N-T-E-K.com which is, as it says, and then as Keith said, packet-pushes, which is a special landing page uh, which helps them to know where you came from and gets the idea of how we're here. We do rely on sponsors to be able to bring you the packet-pushes every week and we appreciate your support and and your support of our clients because um, that's what helps us be here every day. If you find this and many more fine free technical podcasts just like this one, and we have a website at packetpushes.net. You can follow us on the Twitter as at Packet We're on LinkedIn, and uh, we also uh, keep everything updated on Facebook from time to time. Do subscribe in your favorite podcatcher so you can get the next show. Thanks very much for listening today, and remember that too much networking would never be enough.